I want to go back uh, to the book of Luke, the same passage of scripture that we were in last Sunday. We've been in a series called Safe Travels, and uh, I don't know why we call it Safe Travels, because anything about life, really nothing about life is safe, and uh, that's maybe the dream. The dream is that life would just be a safe travel. It's not, and um, I've come to this conclusion. Youth soccer is not safe. All right, so we had a rough weekend, and, and I may have been too loud. Here's the only solace that I have in yesterday's losing of my temper is that Jamie lost hers as well. All right, so it's like I got to do – any husbands in here, you have, like, the bruise under the table, like when you're, like, getting too loud or you're saying too much, and your wife's like – so I have that at sporting events, and uh, when I go to stand up, and I'm like, would you let go, please? Like, I'm trying – and uh, I had to do that yesterday. Yeah, she stood up. I'm like, hey, you know, be an example. So I let her know that. And, and uh, yeah, that's why, I, that's why I quit playing City League basketball is uh, I was losing, losing my testimony. It was, it was bad. And, and I wasn't very good at it. So, but that's irregardless. I'm just joking, Caitlin. I was good. She's feeling bad for me. I want you to go to Luke chapter 10. It's called a humble brag. Luke, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Some people say, Well, I don't really love myself. And I have a little test for you. Next time you take a group picture, see who you look at first. That's for free. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Just so we're clear. I want to know who I have to love. Jesus replied with a story. He said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that same road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, the Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. When we're talking about this passage of scripture we see in anything but safe travels. You've probably heard about Good Samaritans, and really in our culture, a Good Samaritan is really anybody who does something good for someone else. But Jesus tells this story in conversation with a lawyer who's not really actually an attorney, but he was a studier of the law. He was a studier and probably a professional at Jewish law. He initiated this conversation with, with Jesus about how do I inherit eternal life? What do, what do I have to do? What are the requirements in order to achieve eternal life? And Jesus begins this 
conversation with him. And if you remember from last week, this is the first thing Jesus says. Jesus says, all right, if you want it, you got to have this. You have to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, for many of us, we would check the box and be like, yeah, that's, that's us. But, you know, we, we use love for, like, a lot of things. Like, we love football, and we love corn dogs at the fair, and we love our family. It's like, but there's very levels of love. We don't love Fletcher's corn dogs the same as we love our family. At least I hope you don't. For Jamie, it's close second. There's, there's, we use the same word to describe different levels of emotion. When, when Jamie and I were, were dating, I had this, grew up in a, in a Christian home and, and had some, you know, high standards and, and Christian young people, it's, it's, it's good. I, I love it. I want you to be a Christian young person. Um, but sometimes you try to like find your way around the rules. And so for me, I, I said, I am not going to tell anybody I love them. No, no girl. I'm tell, not telling any girl I love them until I propose. Right? So so said that a little early too, so I was like, okay, here we go. And, and, and so then me and Jamie were a couple months into dating, and I'm like, I really like you. I actually more than like you. Now, I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it, but like I'm actually fond of you. Like when we'd say goodnight, you know, you, you'd say goodnight. I'm like, hey, I got to go. I'm 25, but my mom still gave me a curfew. I got to go. And, and uh, true story. I said, but I, I just want you to know I more than like you, right? I'm trying to tell her that I love her without telling her that I love her. And then on the day that I proposed, I was ready. And so we were in Hawaii on the beach. The sun was setting. Oh, it was beautiful. And for the very first time, I told her I loved her because I wanted, when the first time I told her I loved her, I wanted to have some like weight to it. I don't want to just like love because of chemistry. I wanted to be like, be like there's love and a ring. Ah, there's some commitment there, which, which was great. But honestly, the, the not saying I love you until then is called the letter of the law. I accomplished the mission. But really the spirit of the law, why I was doing that was to try to like really hold, regulate emotion until I was ready to make a serious commitment. So I made it by the letter of the law, but I broke it by the spirit of the law. Did, did you know for many of us, we would check the box, letter of the law, I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But if the spirit of the law was actually checked, we don't really love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I, I don't know if you've ever thought about what it would look like to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but you'd probably never be angry at someone else because you'd be full of the love of God. You'd probably never have a problem giving or being generous because you're full of the love of God. You'd have no problem forgiving anybody because you're full. That's a tall order to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then it gets worse because Jesus says, and by the way, love your neighbor as yourself. And this is where we spent most of our time last week is it's because this man responds to Jesus and he says, well, well, who is my neighbor? Which I like this guy. He's smart. He wants to know, like, who exactly is it? Because there's some neighbors that are easy, and there's some neighbors that are not. He says, who's my neighbor? And Jesus begins to tell this story about the Good Samaritan, and the reason that he tells the story this way is because he's trying to teach this man that your neighbor is not who is close to you in proximity. Your neighbor is whoever has need. That Jesus was designating, what your neighbor is someone who's in need. 
Your neighbor is not the person you're next to or close to. Your neighbor is the person that is in need. Neighbors are defined by need, not by proximity. So Jesus says, if someone, by the story, the good Samaritan, if someone is in need, even if Samaritans and Jews did not associate, they did not like each other. In fact, they hated each other. And even in that respect, Jesus was trying to give us an example that even if someone's different than you, or even if someone hates you, they're your neighbor if they have a need. It says that this man... The Samaritan, he came to where he was. When he saw this man that was hurt, he had compassion. He had compassion. You know, I found in life, it is, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's easy to not feel someone else's pain. I mean, you feel your own, but it's, it's like pretty easy to be calloused. It's pretty easy to be like, you handle you, I'll handle me. It's pretty easy to have blinders where you get to the point or you get to the place where it's survival mode and it's totally focused. You're totally focused on you and you don't even see anyone else around you. This is what we talked about last week is this Samaritan, this good Samaritan, he saw that the man was in need. You know, for many of us, we just don't even see anybody other than ourselves. Your, our problems are usually big enough that they keep us from seeing someone else's. Our issues are usually big enough or heavy enough that they keep us from seeing someone else's. When we had our, our counselors in this week and they were talking to pastors and they, they were talking to our staff, my, my counselor, he has this one kind of teaching that he does all the time. And, and, and he says this, he says, the most important thing when you have someone in front of you is you have to recognize that it's a sensitive situation. He says, you, you brought them to the intensive care unit. I see you. I see you. He says, when you're dealing with people, you have to recognize that it's the ICU, it's intensive care unit. But he spells it this way, I-S-E-E-U. I see you. Did you know most of the world is just looking for somebody to see them? Both rich and poor alike, both popular and isolated alike, people are looking for someone to see them. In, in, in fact, men in the room, there's, there's, there's other men that you work with that you know that are not looking for just another drinking buddy. Those are easy to find. They are looking for somebody that have, has the confidence and the security and the anointing to understand that we all have weaknesses and we all have struggles and I see you. And I'm not going to let you give up on your call. I'm not going to let you give up on your anointing. I'm not going to let you give up on your family. I, I'm, I'm talking about a level of spiritual friendship that is not just companionship, but we're encouraging one another to grow to get better, to grow spiritually, to have compassion. This word compassion, I looked it up and, and I was like, that can't be right. I looked it up again and looked it up in a different concordance. In, in the Greek, this word compassion, it, it means this, to be moved as to one's bowels. Little TMI, I know. It's talking about an actual physical reaction to care. That it's not just a fleeting thought. It's not just like, oh, that's too bad for you. It, it's something that breaks your heart. It moves you. And I was just thinking, how long has it been since we've been moved by someone else's pain? How long has it been since we've actually been moved by someone else's issue? 
You know what happens is there's this competition that goes on in your mind. When you hear of someone else's problem, you're like, well, I wish they knew what I was going through. But I'm going to tell you this, is that this passage of Scripture is the encouragement to actually see someone else's issue. In fact, Jesus was moved with compassion all the time. If you read the, the, the Gospels, is that Jesus did in the New Testament over 33 miracles. 33 documented miracles in three and a half years of ministry. So he's doing pretty good. Six of the times... He actually prefaces the miracle with a statement like this. Jesus moved with compassion. So for many of us, we think move with compassion means I feel bad for you. Man, tough situation. Tough break. Woo. But that compassion is accompanied with a desire to alleviate pain. The compassion is accompanied with a desire to help. And when Jesus did miracles, it was always with compassion. And these six specifically, he was moved with compassion before he acted. So spiritual friendship is not just, we said this earlier, not just companionship. Spiritual friendship is the investing in a relationship that actually makes you better. See, for many of us, our friendships, our relationships are, are friendships by default. Yeah, our kids played on the same sports team, and we all were at the same practices, and we became friends. That's great, and some of your best friends may have come that way. But can I propose to you another way to have spiritual friendship? It's called by design, which means you see something in someone, and you decide, we're going to be friends. There is something on them or something that's in them, or some way that they operate that I think I need to connect with because I want to grow. Did, did you know that the, the mentors I have in my life right now, all of the mentors that I have in my life, only one of many sought me out. All the rest, I sought out. I said, I see something on you, and I see something in you. We're gonna be friends. Buckle up, you just gained a friend. I don't know if they want it or not, but I'm like, I am, I'm, we are now going to be connected. Because I want people to run through life with and to walk in life with that have my back, that have my best interests in mind, but they also will speak truth to me, will also operate in love, that will also challenge me to be a better version of myself. The last thing we need is people sitting around with each other and boo-hooing about issues with no compassion to help heal. Oh, yeah, he is terrible to you. That's terrible. My husband's terrible, too. My gosh. Oh, yeah, you, you guys are just solving all the, all the problems in the world. No, how about, how about let's get you help? How about let's have some conversation? How about I'm going to pray for you every single morning at 8 a.m. until we see breakthrough? How about I'm going to get you with another couple that has a great marriage, and we're going to all meet together, and we're going to actually work on this thing that we live in until it's what we want it to be? Did you know marriage doesn't happen by default? It happens by design. If you have a bad marriage, it's because you built it bad. And if you have a good marriage, it's because you built it well. And if you have a bad marriage, you can still build it well. And if you have a good marriage, you can neglect what you have and the good will become bad. Marriage is about design, intentionality that says we have to work at this. The, the, the more time you spend changing one another, 
the more time that marriage is going to crumble. I don't, I don't know why I'm on this right now, because in the first service, I, I didn't like jump on the marriage train too much, but I'm, I'm, I'm just going to help you for a second. If, if you would allow the Holy Spirit to work on your husband and your wife, they do way better work than we do. In fact, if you would commit to actually be a good neighbor as a wife or as a husband, you would actually see the walls of your spouse begin to crumble. And I know everyone's got this situations. You're like, oh, pastor, you don't know my situation. You don't, you don't understand what I'm going through. I, I don't. I do know this is that the Proverbs says love covers a multitude of sins. In fact, Proverbs says a soft answer turns away wrath. If, if we're not careful, we will just have by default what we've abandoned in our life. That sounds miserable to get in a marriage by default to not work on it and just be like, it's bad. That's where we are. No, do something about it. Do something. Well, you don't know her, Pastor. I don't. But God, God can do miracles. That anything that you find yourself in with the right investment can become better. I want, I want to look at this passage of scripture as we begin to wind down, and I want to actually look at what the Good Samaritan did. And I'm going to give you steps of spiritual friendship by just pulling from the text exactly what the Good Samaritan did. The first thing he did, he had compassion, right? And he saw. When he saw, he went to him. So this would be initiation. This would be leadership. This, there, there is this difficulty for us as humans in taking the first step. I see people all the time, it's like, Pastor, I've been coming to the church for years, I just don't have any friends. I'm like, well, have you been friendly? Have you asked anyone to go, well, I just, I, I'm new. You're not new anymore, you've been here eight years. You are not new, take someone to lunch. Scope it out, try to find a spiritual friend. Try them out, take them and invest. Go to them. Now, here's the problem. Most of us, our perspective is what we can get is based on, or our, our perspective of who we invest in is based on what we can get. So instead of actually having the heart of a good neighbor that says, who can I see? Who can I love? Who can I invest in? What we're looking for is like, who's a good connection? Who can help me level up? Who can open a door for me? Who can, do, no wonder we don't trust each other. Everything is transactional. If I'm just a sale for you, I don't really want to lunch with you. Unless you can have the tenderness of heart or the neighborly love to say, I actually see you. I don't see what you can do for me. I don't see what door you can open for me. I actually see you. It's amazing how everything else will flow when the bridge of trust is established in relationship. Spiritual friends are leaders. If you're gonna be a spiritual friend, you gotta be a leader. You, you have to be willing, you know what a leader is? A leader just goes first. If everybody waits around for us to get connected, nobody's going to get connected. Eventually, somebody is gonna have to see someone. And you know how it usually happens in the church? It usually happens when crisis happens. So when crisis happens, now I'm pushed out of my comfort zone to a point where I have to say, I, I need help. I need someone. And then all of a sudden, everybody sees. But you don't have to wait for crisis to be in engaging, encouraging, supportive, spiritual friendship. You just have to initiate 
now. You've got to take a step of faith now. If we're going to be a good neighbor, then we have to learn how to lead. So the first thing the good Samaritan did is he went to him. The second thing the good Samaritan did is he bound up his wounds, which I love this because in the church world, some relationships can be really superficial. How you doing, brother? Blessed. Right? It's like, I could have told him my car on the way to church, and I'm still smiling, saying I'm blessed. I'm like, no, you're not. Like, why are you even here? Go fix your car, man. Come next week. We, we, we get in this spiritual legalism and this shallowness of relationship. This is what the Good Samaritan did. He saw him, he went to him, and then he bound up his wounds. I want to just ask you this question. Do you know, this is rhetorical, don't answer. Do you know how to encourage someone? Do you know how to encourage someone in the Lord? Do you know, do you, do you know, how, to, do you know how to affirm someone, to lift someone up? Because for many of us, we are so frustrated that no one will encourage us. Or no one says thank you. And we never encourage anybody else. We, we should operate as good neighbors in a, such an attitude of gratitude. Do, do you thank the people that bring you food? Do you thank the people that make your coffee? Do you thank the people that open these doors for you? Do you thank the people that park the cars? Do, 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 you, thank your, do you thank your husband and wife for what they bring and what they do? Do you verbalize gratitude? This is how you bind wounds. Did, did you know that when someone's in front of you and you see them, it's not enough to just be like, yeah, that's bad. Woo, you got to get that. You got to get that taken care of. Do you know how to bind up wounds? He says that he applied wine and oil. Wine was like a disinfectant and oil was to relieve or alleviate the pain. This is what this man did. He said, it's not enough for me just to see you. Not, not enough for me, for me just to come to you, but I'm going to help you bind up the wounds. So spiritual friends are not just leaders. Spiritual friends are healers. You ever been healed by a good relationship? A good friendship that really sees you, really cares for you? It's like, man, that was, wow. That was, that was healing to me. If we're going to be a good neighbor, then we have to learn how to heal vulnerability is what opens the door for someone else to be vulnerable. We just had this pastor's gathering this week, and, and uh, I'll just be honest, sometimes pastors are the worst. And um, so you get in a room of pastors, and everybody's like flexing their stuff, you know, where they've been, who they are, where they speak, how big their church is, all this stuff. It's just, uh. and, uh, and, and And everybody probably, because I'm just going to be honest with you, pastoring can be really tough. It's, you, you get to see, you get to see the, the, the good times in people's lives, but you also walk through some of the lowest and some of the darkest. We could take a whole day and I could just tell you like terrible story after terrible story of people's pain because people have pain. People walk through really difficult situations. And, and, and we're having this counseling thing. And, and, and because I've seen pastors burn out, I've seen pastors have moral failures. I've seen pastors handle finances incorrectly. I've seen pastors uh, cheat on their spouse and, and disqualify themselves from ministry. And we're saying, we're not, we're, we can't have that anymore. And so we had a pastor's gathering. We said, we got to make sure you're healthy. You shouldn't be up on this stage if, if you are not in a place where you can have health. So we started talking. But you know what's interesting? All of these pastors that usually come in and flex their stuff, when somebody shared about their pain, the entire 
the entire atmosphere of the room changed. And then it's interesting that everybody that was doing great, everybody's great, everybody's oh, great, man, church, oh, it's awesome, man, I love it. All of a sudden now everybody's depressed. Like, yeah, I'm actually having a hard time too. And actually one of my trusted board members turned his back on me and stabbed me, oh my God. Actually, I had someone in the church do, oh, oh my good. All of a sudden there's all this pain in the room. What opened the door to vulnerability? Only one person being vulnerable. I think, this is not true all the time, but I think at times men can be worst offenders, worst offenders of this. I can go golf with somebody and, and we come home and Jamie's like, how are they? I'm like, amazing, man, we had a blast. And then she goes to coffee with her wife and she's like, oh yeah, they're going through this and they're going through that. I'm like, oh, we did not talk about that. We were talking, we were talking about football and we talked, but you know that whether, whatever your personality is, Everybody deals with pain. And I think that in our culture and in this season of life that we're in, we, we can't just be a church that gathers to gather. That we have to be people that see people. That we have to be able to see their pain. It says that, that he, he bound up his wounds. So spiritual friends are healers. The next one is this. He set him on his own animal. So this man, another translation said he had a donkey. He was riding on a donkey. He gets off the donkey. He takes the injured man and he puts him on. He substitutes or switches places with him. This is an act of generosity. So he says, I want something more for you than I have. You can take my comfort or you can take my resources and I want you to have them. You have a problem right now and I want to help minister to that problem. That, that's powerful because for most relationships, it's like, man, is it equal? Is everybody giving the same amount? Are we 50-50? And really, if you got a good relationship, you're like, I'm giving actually 48 and they're giving 52. This happens in business all the time. Man, I'm, I'm doing all right. Like I just, you know, gave this much input and got that much back. But you know, kingdom principle is actually the other way. You should always give more than you receive. You should, you should, in a relationship, in a friendship, you should always give more. You know what happens sometimes when people start being vulnerable and sharing what they're going through? I've been to these situations. I'm sure you have. Someone shares like, oh, yeah, it's just been a tough week. So-and-so, you know, did this and this happened. And you're like, oh, you think that's bad? Wait till you hear about my week. You did not see anybody. And if this resonates with you, you've got to change. You, you didn't see anybody. Who cares that you had a bad week? Right now, they're sharing about their week. So just see them. Yeah, but, but, but mine was worse, so I want to... Stop. You're okay. God will send a good Samaritan to you. Just be focused on being the good Samaritan to someone else. Spiritual leaders are healers, but spiritual friends, spiritual friends are givers. It's someone that operates in the level, on a level of generosity. I, one of my best friends, we literally have a competition of who can like out bless the other. I'm like getting his family gifts, he's getting my family gifts. I'm like, no, I wanna be the, I wanna be the encourager. So I call him up and I got a word for you, brother. I'm gonna encourage you. He's like, I, I, I already emailed you a word this morning. It's in your inbox. I'm like, what, man? It's, it's, a, it's a competition of who can give more. Think about how foreign that is to us. 
We're like, what's the least amount I can give with the maximum amount of return? That is not a kingdom mentality. A kingdom mentality is I see your pain. I see your wound. I see your struggle. That must hurt. Wow, how can I help you? How can I bind up this area of brokenness? How can I give to you to help you? You know, I found sometimes I'm the good Samaritan and sometimes I'm the man beside the road. And if you put these principles into practice, that when you're the man by the side of the road, you'll have good Samaritans that are there to help you. But if you're always the man by the side of the road, you're never helping anybody, you've never had a heart to see anybody, it is no wonder that at times you feel alone. You have got to flip the script on the victim mentality and say, no, I'm blessed by God. I'm chosen by God. I'm a good Samaritan. I'm a good neighbor. I do have something to give. In fact, some of the areas that disqualify you are actually things that qualify you to connect with someone in pain. Many of you wanted to be perfect, and you never wanted to go through that chapter, and you never wanted to go through that loss, and never wanted to go through that season, and that very thing that you endured is the thing that's going to connect you to hundreds of people and give them hope to not give up on life. I have never been encouraged by somebody that got up and said, man, I just have a perfect marriage. Me and my wife, 20 years strong, we're happy, it's perfect. I'm like, I can't relate with you. Me and Jamie love each other a lot, but we need a lot of help. I've never related with someone that got up and said, hey, I haven't had a lot of problems. God's just good and he always blesses me. I got a lot of questions because I love God, but I haven't always had blessings. Sometimes I feel like I had bad years, really bad things happen. So I can't relate with perfection. You know what I relate with? Somebody coming and telling a story of disappointment. I'm like, ooh, I get that. I've been disappointed. You know what I feel? I feel like someone sees me. It's amazing how alike we all are and how many pretenses we build and fortresses we build so that nobody sees that area that honestly is not weakness, it's just humanity. Our culture has said it's weakness, it's just humanity. And if everybody would just get comfortable with their humanity, we could actually be good neighbors to one another. Last one is he brought him to an inn. He brought him to a, a hotel or to a safe place. He brought him. You, you know what this gives me a picture of? A journey. If, you know what Sunday is? Sunday is not a journey. Man, I, I, I saw somebody there in a lot of need. I give him a you know, good little handshake, fake smile, prayed with him, and I'll go home. Yep, that's great, and I appreciate all that. But to be a good neighbor, you got to be willing to walk with someone. About a little over two years ago, I had a medical emergency, and um, I had a, a small brain bleed, and I had to be rushed to the hospital, and, and so I was, I was in the ER, and I'm there, and, and um, everything's great. I'm good, guys. Um, everything turned out good, but in the moment, it was like, it was a little, little creepy, and um, I was confusing. Everyone looks serious, and it was about two and, two and a half years ago, so um, hospitals weren't like really open yet and uh so they weren't letting a lot of people in to visit and all that so i'm in the er and i'm just by myself and in barge barging through the door pastor steve collins they're like sir i don't think you're supposed to um it's all right get ready get ready get ready and uh comes in there 
And uh, he goes, I just want you to know, I already talked to Jamie. We got people taking care of her. You're going to be all right. I'm going to sit here right here until we get the test results back. I'm not leaving you. I'm not going. I'm like, Pastor, you got things to do. Don't know. I already talked to the staff. Sunday's covered. You just chill out. I, I got you. You know what that is? That's a spiritual friend. That's a spiritual friend. Don't let fear come in. We're not letting that worry come in. Anxiety. No, 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 no. I'm going to pray over you. I'm, we're we're going to stand in faith. We're going to be just fine. And I'll, I'll never forget that. As, as long as I live, I'll never forget that. But you know what? Two months ago, he sat me down in my office. He said, hey, Dustin, I just want to follow up on some, over two years ago. I just want to make sure that you're balancing, like, your workload. Are you sleeping? Are you resting? How much stress are you under? You know what he did? He said, I'm not going to see the wound, bind the wound, and leave you. Two years later, i got to make sure that you're in an inn. You good, bro? I'm walking with you. Because the best friends in your life are not friends that you meet in a moment. It's like oh, instantly, and maybe they are, like all oh, instant good friends. But the friends I trust are friends I've had for a long time. Friends that have seen me at my worst. Friends that have seen me at my best. Friends that have seen me at youth soccer games. And friends that have seen me in church. I, I, it's that longevity that actually builds this level of trust. And I want you to know this, is that what God's doing in our church is he's stirring up great love for one another at a level that is not self-centered love. Like what you can do for me. It's love because you might have a problem or you might have a hard day and I see you. I see the problem. You know how we, you know how we deal with our kids? When they get, it, when they get injured, I don't know how y'all deal with it, so I don't want to speak for everybody. When my kid's little, they're getting older now, so it's a little bit different. When they're little and they got injured, like, oh, dad, I you know, broke my arm. It's like, oh, come here, come here. It's broke? Yeah, it's broke. Let me see it. Can you move it? No, it's broke. <laughs> You're moving it. Like, man, that must hurt so bad. That's terrible. Oh, come here. You give him a hug. Oh, I'm so sorry. Is it broken? No. They can be fine. Absolutely. Did it hurt me to come close? Or would it have been better if I educated them on how the arm breaks? That's how most Christians mend, mend wounds. Let me tell you why you're in this predicament. Oh, your marriage is broken? Let me tell you why you broke it. Nobody needs that. Your marriage broken? Oh, that hurts. That must, that must be hard. That must be hard to go home. It must be hard to just be faithful. Oh, don't say any of that. Why, why don't you try building a bridge instead of being Google? Google is not good compassion. Oh, yep, mm-hmm, problem, broken marriage, mm-hmm. The result is 437,000 divorces in the last... I don't need that. I need someone to be like, ouch, that hurts. I'm having a hard time trusting God, pastor. Oh, no, you can trust him. Have faith. Have more faith. Have more... Oh, that must be hard. What happened? What made you lose trust in God? Tell me about it. Well... Oh, I don't know. It must be hard. Do you think God's big enough to defend his own trust? Or does he need like 
half-hearted Christians to be like, no, you can't trust God. Usually those people are having a hard time trusting them themselves. But when you're confident in God and you're confident in the call that God's put on you, you can say, ah, that hurts. I just feel this like urgency in this service specifically. I, I feel like God wants to release some of you into areas of spiritual friendship that literally in a year, you're gonna look back at yourself and you're not even gonna recognize yourself. Not because you changed all of these things, but because you surrounded yourself with spiritual friends. And those friends were not like, okay, there you go. I can get better because you're around me. But you came in with a mindset of I'm gonna bless them. I think you could change the world you're in. I think you could change the world around you if we could catch the good Samaritan love.